I'm excited about the year of 2024, and uh, there's a one word that God has really kind of been kind of in my spirit for a long time, and I really feel like that 2024, not only for myself, for us, for people around the world, is a year of discovery. It's a year of discovery. The discovery of the reality that is that we may not yet understand or realize. And sometimes there's a felt sense of tension because your heart has a sense of knowing. Your spirit has a sense of knowing there's more for me, God. What is it that I have yet to discover? I would encourage us to make that our our prayer at personal levels, for us as a group, for for the body of Christ at large, for the whole world, those who are in just absolute darkness. Let there be kind of a heart and a spirit of discovery. And let us go explore. Let's just see what God may reveal. And sometimes it's in that response of the heart, of that desire I I mean, I'm grateful for what is and what you're doing in my life, our lives, and in the world, Lord. But I know that yet you want to reveal yourself to greater measures in my heart, in our lives, in our marriages, in our family relationships, in friendships. Think about our communities. You may consider your community a very lovely place in which to live. Wonderful. But can you imagine if you have hosts of people who have it within their heart, this sense of drawing by the Spirit? Let us go on a mission of discovery. See what we can learn concerning the ways of God. The children of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. That's at a whole deeper level. And I think God in his graciousness, he gives us insight as to his ways. I mean, we have the beautiful scriptures and uh, he gives us insight into his ways. But how many of you know, there's probably a whole lot more yet to discover. Everybody say discover, discover. Yeah, there's a lot more yet to discover. Well, in that context, the first message of this year, I'm going to do a series along this line about discovery. And the first one I felt like that is so foundational, and for some of us you may go, yeah, this is just kind of old hat, I mean. But how many of you know that which is old to us in terms of our memory can be fresh to us today by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the nature of when God communicates through Scripture and we go back to maybe familiar portions and such. Let it be fresh today. Let let us walk out of here with a a little bit of aha. And sometimes the aha isn't based on what the speaker says. It's based upon what the Holy Spirit may speak to you that is indirectly, it may be associated with the theme, and you're having an aha moment when you're sitting here. And there's aha moments happening all over the room, and you're going out going, wow, man, God, you just brought this to my heart, to my mind, and whoa, I'm on this mission of discovery. Well, in this bigger context of our world, many individuals of our world seem to be very confused about who they are and where they fit in, in this life and in the afterlife. And there seems to be an increasing amount of conversation and public vocalization with pronounced declarations and opinions regarding personal identity that's sometimes related to race, gender, sexual orientation, and including political and religious ideologies. Why are these such matters of concern? It's for really a good reason. Because everyone wants to discover who they really are and long to be accepted and loved for who they believe they are. Now, here's a challenge because when we question and debate 
people's expressed um, identity as it pertains to sexual orientation, gender identity, racial matters, political ideologies, and your truth versus my truth, we're actually missing the most basic of all human need. Don't get caught up in debating and such because that's not the real issue. And so a lot of things as it pertains to religious ideology, political ideologies, identity, gender, and all of that, all of that will begin to make sense if we get down to the real basic human need that we have. And I propose that that greatest need is begins at discovering our Father. Discovering our Father. Our earthly relationships have a great deal of influence on the formation of our thinking concerning identity, values, and how to deal with life. And in reality, our world is just filled with all these unmet expectations and relational conflicts, loss, losses within our lives, losses of family members and loved ones, and personal failures, and also including the influences of a rapidly changing culture of our world. Is there any wonder that there's frustrations and confusion? And really what our whole world needs, our fellow citizens, our co-workers, our families, our children, our grandchildren are in need of discovering our Father. Discovering truth that's anchored in eternal reality is the only thing that ultimately can bring the stability and the clarity needed regarding personal identity and how to navigate through the uniqueness of life's challenges. So I invite you on a journey in 2024, a journey of discovery. I want to keep exploring the God of the universe who has loved us and included us in Christ as sons and daughters. And yes, even before creation, you were already in the heart and mind of God and he knew you. Spiritual growth is learning to see ourselves in the light of his glory. And as we behold him and, and, and have our eyes and we're, we're, we begin to focus upon the glory of our heavenly father, as we get to know him through scripture, through the revelation of Jesus Christ by the spirit, um, it begins to bring a, a, it begins to kind of settle some of the most basic issues of our heart that can be so volatile, but it, but it ministers to our core. And so my question would be to myself and to us, are you willing to invite God and others to show you a new perspective in any arena of life? It takes a lot of humility and courage to do so. But if there's to be Beauty and discovery in 2024, discovery of God himself, who he is, and better understanding his ways and how he works, it requires humility, hunger, but it also requires courage. It requires a lot of courage. The last several years, I've been reading more and more material from authors with whom I have disagreed and didn't understand. So I intentionally read things as it relates to the political arena, religious arena, concerning uh, God himself, concerning the scriptures. My heart is in reading things that I, that I um, maybe think I disagree with or I'm just ignorant of is to grow in understanding. I, I want to seek to understand you know, and, and that is one of the beautiful uh, points of a healthy marriage. Seeking to understand her uh, and him. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's almost 43 years and I'm seeking to understand her. And sometimes she looks at me like, who are you? Hey, it's perfectly clear. God knows. <laughs> and that is our challenge in life, in our earthly relationships. 
with finite relationships, discovering, seeking to understand, looking for the gold, look, you know, looking through the messy stuff and saying, I know there's beauty there. There's beauty in every person, even the person who may, whose behavior may be actually an evil expression in many ways. There's something beautiful because they are created loved one by God. God already knew them and chose them before creation. Scriptures make it so beautifully clear. But it takes courage and humility. And the outcome can be blessed growth and joy of discovery. You see, when we close ourselves up and we're just totally satisfied with where we're at in life, if we're totally satisfied to where, uh, as to how we understand God and we're just comfortable with that, you will not grow. That's pretty blunt, wasn't it? I'm just telling you the truth. Doesn't your heart hunger to know him better, as Paul said? Oh, that we might know him better. More intimately. Ah, God says, through Christ, Jesus said, let's look at this. I wrote a few things out. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. How many of you know that we can be in this mission of learning and growing all through life and not even begin to hardly scratch the surface of the riches there are in Christ relative to an infinite God. But can we trust Holy Spirit to expand our understanding of the Father? Next, can we trust Holy Spirit to help free us from maybe some dogmatisms of Christian traditions? Maybe they don't even accurately represent Father God, Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. You know, all of the early, the early church and the, and the forefathers of the first several centuries and even up to what is known as the Great Reformation, there's just been constantly, and there still is, this ongoing desire to know him better. And sometimes that come, comes with uh, misunderstandings. But what one person has as their understanding is very different than what another person has. And sometimes there's been fightings and divisions within Christ's church because of the differences of understanding. In what was it, 1054, it was the great division between the East and the West of the church of Christ. And they moved pretty easily forward until the 1500s. And now we have 40,000 different denominations in the world, all based upon, because I have a different perspective than you have, I can't worship with you any longer. And therefore, I will start my own gig. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? So in the discovery, can we trust Holy Spirit to keep our hearts aligned with the love of the Father and grant permission to one another to explore our identity in God and our God connection? I want to be cool with that as you're on a mission of exploration and discovery. Can we ask questions and share thoughts with one another without our love and our faith being called into question? Now, any of you that have <clears throat> been through the process of parenting adolescents and teenagers... This is something that is really huge in having healthy family uh, relationships. When moms and dads can feel secure enough to allow adolescents, little children, all the way up through teenagers and young adults, allow them to explore for themselves and come to places of a personal understanding of who their God is, of who our God is, I should say. And they may come from this way and that way, and you're going, man, that's weird, man. You're off track. <laughs> and sometimes they ask so as to wanting to learn. Other times it's like, well, what do you think about this, Dad? Mom, here's something that comes to me. And so we try to give some guidance to the best of our ability, but they're smart enough to know that we don't know it all. Right? Our kids and grandkids are smart enough to know that. They don't know, they know we don't have God all figured out. And they just might be on to something that you haven't 
had revelation of yet. You haven't seen in scripture, but they see it. It's like hiding in plain sight. Can we allow for differences of perspective and understanding of certain traditional beliefs and continue growing together, which is sometimes a tedious process? My goodness, this is, this is, this is what happens in, in beautiful, healthy relationships. Whether it's in the context of family or the context of a church family or in a community, when you have leaders of a community that come together, whether it's a city council or whether it's a commission and stuff, learning to listen and try to hear and understand and at least appreciate the heart of the other without being called a weirdo or something behind, behind somebody's back, of course, we, we would do that. Sometimes some people do that in a public way. None of us would claim to have a complete understanding with absolute certainty of Father God of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of the scriptures. We are not that foolish. Some things of God are a mystery. Now, I want to touch just real briefly on what a mystery is. But first, let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Actually, it's quite a long passage. So, <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before briefly. Now note he's referring to that which formerly had been a mystery, not only to himself, but to the peoples of the earth and by the Holy Spirit that Jesus said, the Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth, right? And so by the revelation of God via the Holy Spirit, Paul said, some things were made known that formerly was a mystery. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Let me go tell you, if you want to talk about, you know, God and, and, and God being a mystery, it's, there's many things that are a mystery to me concerning the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and how all of this works, simply because I have not yet come to the understanding at this point in my life. And guess what? We never will in our lifespan, because we're talking about finite beings trying to understand, comprehend the fullness of who God is. God the Father, Christ the Son, and Holy Spirit, who are infinite. So it's not humanly possible. And I actually have a, have a hunch that it will actually be for all of eternity. We will continue relationally with great fascination. But I think it will be much easier because here we're under influence of the spirits of this world, of demonic influence, and, and just a lot of mess and stuff. And so when the Lord settles all of that and you have the new heaven and new earth in the place, wow, we'll just keep growing and abounding in our love and depth of comprehension of our glorious Lord for all of eternity. It's going to be glorious, okay? And so Paul talks about this mystery. He said, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to mankind. As it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. And then he said to be specific that the Gentiles are also fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the work of his power. Now, Paul's writing this to the Ephesians, most of whom were Gentiles, but there were also some of his Jewish people, Hebrew people, there at Ephesus as well. And so <clears throat> Paul is talking about how that in and through the ministry of Jesus Christ, what is available to the Hebrew people is available to the Gentiles. Neither one has an edge on the other because God 
had revealed. But the generations past didn't realize that. Now look at verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. I love this because Paul then say, yeah, I've got the inside scoop. I'm, I'm a special one. I, I've been called. Even when I was in my womb, I was called of God. So Paul understood he was an ordinary man. And he says the least of all saints because I mean, he actually was one that persecuted and killed Christians before. So he's got a humility here. But this ought to get our attention. None of us would consider ourselves any great noble individuals that are so uniquely special and privileged by God and we're so scholarly and have all wisdom and insight. None of us. I've only met a couple people like that in my life who think they're pretty well yeah, but that's very rare. That's very rare. So if God can give the grace to Paul, who was so blinded by evil that he was actually wanting to kill the Christians, he was so blind, he was so blind. He, he was ignorant and he was blind. But God's grace, God's power, God's ability, all of a sudden, not only was he transformed, but now he is getting revelation. Guys, if Paul got revelation... And it didn't all happen at one time. He was out at the desert for numerous years. Some say as many as 14 years. Most say about three years. Some of the scholars are, it's a little challenging because the scripture doesn't always, uh, what should I say, make it really clear. So you're kind of reading between lines and trying to figure out timelines, etc. But if he can give revelation to Paul, how many think he can give revelation to you? Didn't Jesus say that? The Holy Spirit will do what? Lead you and guide you into what? All truth. How many of you know that truth is greater than your present understanding and knowledge? Why not? Let's believe that 2024 will be a year of discovery. Discovery of our Father. Discovery of our Lord. Discovery of truth. That yet... We at a personal level may not understand. There may be somebody in the room that understands a host of things. Some of you guys understand things that I don't understand. So my prayer is, God, help me catch up. And we're not doing this in competition with any person. It's just like, Lord, I'm on a, I'm on a journey, and I want to keep discovering. Now look at Paul. He goes on, and he talks about, uh, about fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, which I was made to be a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me to the working of his power. Verse 8, to me, the least of all saints, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is for the ages that has been hidden in God who created all things so that the multi faceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the to, through the church to the rulers and to the authorities in heavenly places. You know what Paul is saying? There is the revelation that comes by the Spirit concerning who God is and, and, and a growing uh, understanding of how God works and how all of his ways. And he's revealing it to the church in the means of being able to work through Christ's church and even refers to being an authority within the heavenly places, which means that he can work through you and is working through you to influence the second heaven, if you will, the atmosphere. Truth has a way of pushing back darkness and demonic plans and evil workings. See, how many of you know that's a good enough reason to grow in 2024? Yes, we're privileged by God. We're equipped by the spirit. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to become discouraged about my tribulations in your behalf, since they are your glory. Now, Paul went a lot through a lot of sufferings just to get the gospel to even the Ephesians. Verse 14, for this reason, I bend my knees before the Father. He's speaking in my prey, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, 
you who are followers of Christ, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man or inner self, okay? Now understand that inner part of us sometimes um, we may not even fully recognize and appreciate because there's the kind of the outward thing, you know, that we have. We all have kind of a, uh, a perception sometimes of ourselves that isn't exactly true of who we really are at the core by God's design and what he's doing. And so we want the Lord to kind of obliterate the silly stuff of who we think we are and what we're not. And let's come back to the reality of who God says we are. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. Ah, It takes some discovery to move to places uh, of the riches of God to comprehend with all of the saints, with length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. You remember it was Daniel that told Nebuchadnezzar, There is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. There are things hidden for you in 2024 that you will be privileged to discover if your heart longs to. If you search, hunger after. You know, Paul taught the Corinthians that the wisdom of God is mysterious because it's hidden wisdom, but he didn't imply that the wisdom is unknowable. The wisdom of God and his plan was shared in part with Old Testament saints and through the prophets, and there were other elements of wisdom and redemptive plan that was hidden for thousands of years until Christ came and Christ himself began to reveal some of the what was mystery now is beginning to take on form of... of, uh, of points of understanding. And Paul said he labored in prayer to receive revelation concerning the mysteries of Christ because he knew his call was to share the good news with the Gentiles uh, predominantly and the Jews too. Now, a mystery, for example, sometimes is perceived as something distant and unknowable. Mystery is not something you can't know in the biblical context. Mystery is not something that is outside the possibility for you to know. Mystery is endless knowability. Not nobility, K-N, knowability. You just get to keep on learning and growing and comprehending. Wider and wider, higher and deeper. I want to urge us to Let's explore. We only know God in part. The Apostle Paul said, and look at the revelation that God gave Paul. Just look through the scriptures like, oh my goodness, nobody got this, but God revealed it to Paul, an ordinary guy. And then he, Paul, through whom God worked in a most significant way that wrote the majority part of our New Testament scriptures, and yet he says we only know in part. How many of you know, how many of you would like to have a greater part of understanding and revelation? It doesn't happen unless you make it a priority. You're going to make it a priority. God, oh, that I might know you better. Search my heart. Align within my heart. Align within my mind. Change my heart. Change my thinking if need be. What are the things that are standing in the way? God, work within me humility and then some guts and courage to face the music. Heaven's music is glorious. But in the glory of his heavenly tone, sometimes it reveals the things that where we just like, uh, well, that's what I always thought. How many of you know what you've always thought isn't necessarily always right? Everything that you understand about God today may not even be accurate. 100% anyhow. It may be in part. That's why we search the scriptures. That's why we enter dialogue and conversation constantly. 
because with people. See, the Bible, or the writers of the Bible, even tell us that they're in process of discovering. That's what Paul is going to say. If you read all of these passages related to mystery, um, he, he's saying, I'm basically in process. I'm inviting you. I exhort you. Search out the wisdom and the ways of God. Look at this. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, 6. I am confident of this thing that he began, who began a good work in you, will complete it to the day of Christ. Now, Paul was a man who would just speak words of life and confidence and make faith declarations over people. And if somebody needed to have a little rebuke, he wasn't afraid to do that in a spirit of love. And because uh, <clears throat> sometimes that's what we need, don't we? And uh, so he, but he talked about he who began a good work. Okay. So on the timeline of looking at our lives, Here's the beginning when I was born, and here's the end someday. And, I, and none of us know when that's going to be. If it's today, tomorrow, next year, 20 years, 50 years, whatever the case may be. One thing I do know is that God is continually doing a good work in me. And part of that work that Paul's re- referring to is revelation, revealing Christ to me. For it is only right for me to feel this way because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of God's grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affections of Christ. And this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may discover, everybody say discover. Here's Paul's prayer, that you might discover the things that are excellent. I know a few things that are excellent concerning Christ, concerning the Godhead and how God works and how he sees people. I don't know all things yet of his excellence. I'm just a pride process like you guys. So Paul says, I want to pray that your love would overflow. See, it's rooted and grounded in love. See, when we carry the true spirit of love, our hearts are humbled and we're not threatened just because somebody shares with us something that we don't understand or understand differently. So I want my heart just totally just bathed and rooted and grounded in love because where love is, there's humility. And where there's humility, then there's courage to venture out and open myself up to the possibilities that there are things that God is wanting to reveal to me And rather than feel fearful and threatened, just maybe it's God trying to, by his spirit, lead and guide me into more significant understandings of the truth of who he is. And maybe I just haven't seen it before or understood it. So Paul said that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. One of the greatest things that is a dishonor to the Lord when we think we're right. Everybody else is wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. God himself many times, okay, go do your thing then. Someday though, I'm going to keep loving you. Someday maybe you'll come to the end of yourself. Maybe a circumstance will have to happen to get your attention to humble you. Because God, our whole mission of life isn't to see how many things we can do and accomplish to impress God. Our whole goal of life is to become like him. Don't pass that down into the future and say, well, when I die, then I'll just be like totally like God. He's like, well, cool, but this is why you exist today is to be partakers of the grace to grow. And every one of us should be able to say, In about 350-some days, 58 days, we should be able to say, wow, in 2014. Oh, there were some things that were a mystery to me on January 7th. And now it's like God is opening my eyes. And someone was hiding in plain sight right there. I just didn't see it. I didn't catch it. I'm going to look forward to all of your testimonies as to how God's going to change you, enlighten you in 2024. Because that's what he wants to do. And I believe it's in your heart to do so. You wouldn't even be here today. So we have to learn. So our focus today, though, is discovering our Father. 
When the Jews referred to God as Father, they were referring to a sovereign God who was an authority over the people, their nation. He was to be revered and feared. And uh, when they sinned against him, it was like, yikes, okay, what are the consequences going to be? Deuteronomy 32, do you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Psalms 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Isaiah 63, for you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer of old is your name, Malachi. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenants of our fathers? So what you see here is that the Jews revered God as father through his mighty acts and his compassion, okay? And God was also known as the one who was superior to Abraham as the living God of the covenant people. But in every sense of thinking of God as their father, the Jewish people understood him to be the transcendent one, which he is, but to be revered. Now, what you might note here in these scriptures we just read, he is not being, um, uh, he's not being directly addressed as father in an intimate manner, okay? Uh, so when the old covenant people approached God, they did so through the access of the temple, okay, where God placed his presence. And, and he was revealed through the earthly priest. But when Jesus comes, there's a radical shift. He begins to refer to God, the Father, in a very personal way and was telling his disciples that this, this goes for you as well. And Jesus said, as a matter of fact, to the disciples, Lord, how should we pray? He said, here's how you're praying. You come to him humbly, but directly. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You come directly. Now, how many of you know the Jewish people were shocked at this? The disciples themselves and all of their friends and family. Oh, you can't approach God that way. You must go to the temple. Allow the priest, the high priest, to represent God to us. We, we can't just like say our Father who art in heaven. How can we approach that? This was the shift that was happening as Jesus was preparing them for a new level of of dynamic in the relationship with God. You could approach him. See, Father God was not, is not some faceless, nameless, <clears throat> austere, omni-being of a catechism. Jesus was and is the face and the revelation of Father God. You remember this? Rome, John 14, Philip said, Lord Show us the Father. I mean, that's just all we need. And Jesus answered, I have been with you for a long time. Do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen what? The Father. Father is not an isolated, sovereign, self-centered king who demands that everything revolves around him solely. The truth is God is this circle of glorious love and passion of life and fellowship, but it flows within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And togetherness and fellowship and communion between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is at the very being, at the center of the very being of God. God's relational. He's a Father whose greatest delight and joy can only be found in the creation and the inclusion of humanity into that circle of divine life. Now, here's the good news. You and all of people, all people of the earth, have already been included and in every human being in his life um, has been included into relationship with the Father and into his anointing by the Holy Spirit. The problem is many of us in our world are blind to the reality that Jesus already made this all possible. 
there it is. He's included us, but if we're blind to it, we don't experience salvation, right? We're blind to it. It's only when our eyes are open that we behold him. It's like, oh my goodness, I embrace you as my Lord. And wow, things begin to just accelerate. You may have in part certain dimensions of understanding. So the good news, though, that Father God did all of this without consulting you and other humans first. It was without your vote. And whether you believe it or not, it won't make it any less or more true. And to illustrate how God relationally views mankind, Paul introduces the term adoption. It was something that he got from the Greeks, not from the Hebrews, people. And it had to do with inclusion. Because as people saw themselves outside of God, they saw themselves as, okay, I mean, I'm not good enough for God. And, and, and humanity today feels that way. And God's way out there, even those who have some religious concept of God, he's, he's way out there somewhere. Okay? Actually, many Christians see God that way. He's out there. Someday I'm going to go to where he is. No, we are already having a divine connection. And in Ephesians 1.5, Paul even talks about, and we've gone over this, this first part of this chapter numerous times, but um, I, I want to highlight this part. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. It's always been in his heart that all created beings called human beings are, would be fully included in his love and in the giving of his son, and in the work and ministry of Jesus on the cross and resurrection. Salvation happens when our eyes are opened and we say yes. And we, by the choice, the response to his love. We love him because he first loved us. And so our salvation is simply a response towards his love. Yes. Oh, my goodness. But what brings us to the yes? The reality is of what he has already done. I just was blind to the reality. Thus, I don't experience, in my experience, I don't receive salvation until my eyes are open to the reality of who he is and what he has done. So our inclusion is not the result of any merit on the part of our lives, but it's because of God's love and the outflow of his grace and power. And so Paul said... <clears throat> about himself. It wasn't my doing to be adopted. He said, I only basically discovered and responded to God because of what he has already done. <clears throat> I got to read just a couple more scriptures here yet, and we'll wrap it up. Now I say, I'm in Galatians 4. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So we too, when we were children, we were held in bondage under the elementary principles of this world. Okay? That's before we experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And, uh, <clears throat> and so here we are. We're just exposed to the elementary things, and there's darkness, and, and, and we're in bondage. Okay? We're blind. But when the fullness of time came, okay, as speaking of, well, here it is. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as the sons and daughters. The key word is, is that we can receive this. He has already done it, but because of Jesus Christ, here, here it is. Everybody from God's heart is already loved. They're already included. The price has been paid. Salvation has already been accomplished for all people. But it's not until we, we come to the light and, 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 and the scales are removed from the eyes and that we can receive the gift, receive Christ in our experience. And then he says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? God is always considered his created ones as sons and daughters. He never created any person with the notion that they are anything less than a son or daughter. You can never find that in Scripture, for sure. Absolutely not. 
And he's already predetermined that it's his will, his heart, that every person experience the glorious privilege of being a son or daughter. That's his heart. And yet there are billions yet who have not, okay? But because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Now, Paul introduces this term, Abba. And he got it from the Greeks. Abba, Father. And so he says, you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so to reveal and orient us in our identity, the reality that we have always been created and intended from God's heart to be sons and daughters and to have that intimacy of relationship through Jesus Christ. Now, it's an Aramaic term that was transliterated into Greek and which turns out to be the term Abba. That's not how it's spoken in Aramaic, okay? It's only used three times in the New Testament. Mark 14, 36, Romans 8, 15, Galatians 4, 6. And today, even I'm told this, because I don't understand the language, but I'm told this, that in the marketplaces in Israel and in some uh, Arab cultures uh, amongst uh, uh, the peoples, you will hear a child cry out, Abba, when he's wanting to communicate with his father. It's an, an expression. It's a heartfelt sense of intimate um, connection and security. Where father can be just a bit austere. It's like, whoa, this is my father. Now, in our culture, we use the term dad, which would be similar to Abba, although some scholars say that's a bit too casual for what the term actually means, but it's in that direction of what we would say dad, okay? And uh, sometimes when I refer to my dad, depending on the setting, I'll refer to him as my father. But if it's with people I know well, know my heart, I'll talk about my dad, see? And, And when it's appropriate. Now, Get this. This is in the message. Um, Eugene Peterson puts it this way in his translation. You can tell for sure that you are fully adopted as his children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying, Papa, Father, or Daddy, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain to you that you're not a slave you're not just one working to hard to please God with your works. You're a child. And if you're a child, you are an heir with complete access to the inheritance. When I was a kid and didn't understand the bigger picture, I was fascinated as I would read my Bible as a little guy grade school guy, the inheritance. Somehow I was under the assumption, though, that the inheritance could not be experienced. You could not be a partaker of inheritance till after we die and go to heaven. And as I got a little older and began to study the scriptures more, like, oh my goodness, we have full access to our inheritance now. Discovering is the most. Uh, our, discovering our father is one of the most important things. It's foundational, and we gain insight of how he loved us and chose us before creation to be his son or daughter. He's included us in the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our inheritance can be accessed in this life, guys. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Pray, God, help me to understand how come this is not always what's shared with the world. They start from the place that you're evil, you're doomed because of sin, and if you want to go to heaven and escape hell, say this little prayer after me. That's not the gospel. The end result, we get to spend eternity with the Lord, yes, 
But the gospel is how God, before creation of the world, already knew you and loved you. The gospel is he already chose for you to have relationship with him through Christ Jesus. The gospel is that he's already considered you to be your son and daughter. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Paul got it. He had the revelation. And that's why when Paul shared the gospel wherever he went, he never once, go read it, read every letter, never once did he use the threat of hell and eternal torment as a means to try to motivate people to embrace Christ. Never once. He's probably one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived, right? Outside of Christ himself. And he didn't use that as a motivator. The things I just cited is what he shared all over. Go to Acts, you see it. Go to Corinthians, whatever. It's all there. What I want us to know is that we're privileged as ones who believe in Christ, who, who have ones who have come to embrace him. But the whole world has the same privilege. Yes, many people, don't, their eyes are not opened yet, okay? But all of us through Christ and relationally can begin to access the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. Next week, we're going to go to those marvelous passages of Scripture and talk about discovering our inheritance. It's good stuff. Let's stand up together. So, Father in heaven, thank you for being a good dad. Abba, Father, thank you for always loving us. Thank you for providing a means whereby we can know you through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are to know you more. Our hearts are, God, for 2024, is to comprehend, more fully comprehend who you are. Give us hearts that are so filled with love that humility becomes the norm. And humility says, teach me. I want to learn. And as we're rooted and grounded in love, we're not afraid to explore that we might discover who you are more fully than we know today. Each of us are on this special journey and as a community of faith, we, we share in that with one another. But give us a confidence and a spirit of faith and a hunger and desire to know you better. Thank you so much for your love and care for us. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, thank you so much for your presence today and and your participation in just our fellowship and worship and communion together. May God give you much grace this week. And may you go forth just hungering after God all the more. And may God give you courage to face any and every challenge that may arise in this year. He will. He will give you the grace to be able to live as an overcomer. Amen. God bless have a super day.